been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody, Steve with Sons Fidelity. Coming at you with Mike Parrott of Restoring the Faith Media, who's also a co-host of the what do we call it again? I just my brain. I think just we're quit. calling it the rundown. The rundown. The rundown. Yes, and he's in the heart of America. Somewhere America. west of me. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, Steve. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Yes, and the reason why we're doing this is because Father had a sermon the other day and over a certain blessed. Blessed Hans and Franz. No, I kid. It's, we're not here to pump you up, but Blessed Franz Jägerstatter? Jägerstatter. Jägerstatter. Yes. yes. Not Jägermeister. Not Jägermeister, even though that the logo is uh, St. Hubert. If anybody doesn't know that, you see the cross in between. But that's another story. So, so Blessed Franz, who was this guy? Oh, Blessed Franz Jägerstadter is perhaps one of the most significant um, Catholic saints of the twenty of the twentieth century, twenty uh, first century, and I think uh, it's important to to really dive deeply into his life. That the two second flyby, Steve, on who who he was and what he's famous for. He's the guy who would not swear an oath of loyalty to Adolf Hitler and to the Nazi regime, and for that he was beheaded. Um, but there's a lot more that goes into his story, but that's sort of the, the two second flyby of, of who he is. Not to be picky, but that was longer than two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Franz Jägerstadter is a lot like all of us. He's, you know, he, 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 he is recognized as a martyr. Uh, I think in 2007, um, Pope Benedict declared him, uh, to be a martyr and beatified him. He was born uh, right before the First World War uh, in Austria. Now, at the time of his birth, Austria was the seat of a massive empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, and uh, but German was was definitely spoken where he was born in in Upper Austria, and he was born uh, into a world at war. His father died in the mud in the trenches. And he uh, grew up uh, essentially fatherless, raised in part by his grandparents, and then eventually he was adopted by the, his mother's second husband. He was a very poor man for most of his life, and, um, and he was a farmer, a farm aide. And uh, eventually he did inherit his um, foster father's farm, um, which, which was transformative in his life because as we know in America uh, and, and, and what we try to encourage, at least in our tax policy, is you know, when you grow up and settle down and own a piece of land and get married, you're more stable um, and you tend to make better decisions. So before all this happened, he was a bit of a, uh, he was a, bit of a wild man. Um, he was a bit of a St. Augustine. I mean, he had uh, a child out of wedlock and he had uh, run-ins with police. 
the the mayor of of his little village uh saint uh radagund um was basically you know he kind of bailing him out of uh of jail and and uh, this was a time you know in austria where uh, in 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 polite austrian and german culture you don't regularly have run-ins with the police you know you just um, so uh, it's, it's, it's much more common these days in the, in the age of Black Lives Matter that, oh yeah, you know, it's almost like getting arrested for being a, being a rioter is sort of like a badge of honor, but this was certainly not the case back then. So he, he had a bit of a reputation for being kind of a punk. Then he met, uh, Franziska, uh, his, his future wife, and they were married on Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday, which... I didn't. I didn't know that you could do that, but um, but I. But they did, so it must be proper. I wonder if it was the last day of uh, you know the last day you could do it before you know, Easter season. That's right. That's right. It was. <laughs> he had to get it all out of his system or whatever. Yeah. Um, she was a very pious woman, and they had a honeymoon in Rome. And when they went to Rome, uh, just seeing the beauty of Rome. Uh, I, and, and I'm sure so many of your listeners, Steve, on your channel um, have been to Rome or, or have seen the beauty or been touched by the beauty of, of the Eternal City. He had, a, he had an incredible uh, reversion, you could say, um, to his Catholic faith. Now, this is a totally, this is a Catholic uh, village. This is a Catholic country. This is a Catholic culture. Okay, so there's no, it's hard for us, especially as Americans, to envision what Blessed Franz what his life was like, but he grew up, you know, witnessing Corpus Christi uh, processions and living a liturgical year um, as a farmer. He's connected to the land. He understands what a, um, what an ember day is and what it means and what a rogation day is, all these things. Um, so when he actually sees, you know, the, the beauty and the grandeur of, of Holy Mother Church, he has this deep conversion. And he becomes a third order Franciscan and becomes the sacristan to his church. Um, they even tried to make him mayor at one point uh, of his village. But uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of so he he's very much a Saint Augustine character, and he has this deep conversion, as so many of us do, especially us men, when we meet our brides, we aspire to become better in order to be worthy of them, and and. I think Father Ripperger talks a lot about the psychology of that, that men want to make themselves worthy of a lady and ladies want to be strived after by men. And, and, and you can definitely see that um, in his marriage and in, in the marriage between Blessed Franz and uh, Franziska. Yeah, you talk about the lowering the bar. If the woman has a bar pretty low, then the guys are going to go low. And if they have a high bar, the guy's going to go high. What kind of That's woman right. you want to be? Our lady leading somebody to God or Eve leading them to the first death, basically? Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of remarkable, too, that such a pious young woman, uh, Franziska, that she would uh, she would agree to be married to, you know, basically a farmhand who had a wild life and w w had, you know, had had a daughter out of wedlock. Um, it sort of speaks to the fact that she could see uh, his potential, she could see his heart, she could see uh, what kind of man he would become. And their relationship became so important towards the end of Blessed Franz's life because I, he, he basically had to stand alone, alone. 
and um, and she was the only one standing with him. Yeah, I saw the uh, the movie Hidden Life. Uh, one of the priests in England recommended in a sermon, and I forgot about it for about three months. We watched it during all that when everyone was shut down, and it showed how she was literally the only one. You know, against family, friends. I mean, he's getting punched by his friends in his neighborhood and things like that. Um, it didn't show the beginning of his life. So all that no, stuff- it just alluded to it, and and this is a this is a very good point, Steve. Um, a hidden life is is maybe one of the most uh, important works of film in a generation. Terrence Malick, uh, who who had previously done you know um, Tree of Life and 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 other really famous movies, Terrence Malick really has come into his own as a filmmaker, and I think has made the most significant film probably of our lifetime. It is an absolute masterpiece. It's many, many uh, Catholic, traditional Catholics favorite movie of all time. It's called A Hidden Life. It's available on Amazon Prime uh, and I think on YouTube as well uh, for purchase. It did go to theaters earlier this year, 2020, before the uh, planned demic and um, and it did okay, but this was not a, this was not a movie made for the mass market. I think uh, Terrence Malick's entire filmmaking career has led him to the point of making this film. Um, and you're right in the film, they don't really show the origin story of blessed Franz. They only make allusion to it in a, in one scene where the mayor, who, uh, who's, who's, um, who's a Nazi and a supporter, sympathizer, uh, pulls blessed Franz aside and says, you, you were a wild man. You were a wild man in the day who changed you. Was it your wife that changed you? Um, you know, and and this is one of the many arguments that Terrence Malick um, sort of elucidates in the film *A Hidden Life*, which is very, very accurate, historically accurate uh, about the um, about the the actual story. So I, I highly recommend it. But one of the many arguments that all of these characters in his life, all these figures in his life, are using to try to convince him to re- to just take the oath. So you have the mayor saying, you know, uh, you, you, this isn't you. Um, it's basically making an appeal to his identity. Yeah, I know your true identity. You're a troublemaker at heart. Uh, you know, don't don't try to act pious just because your wife wants you to be. You know, the stakes here are high. They'll kill you. You know, you'll hang for this. Um, eventually, the mayor turns on him and he calls him a traitor and and all and all this. But blessed Franz Jägerstadter was the only the only person in his entire village to oppose um, the, uh, the annexation of Austria by the Nazis. Uh, he did complete some brief military training. And as a result of that was, was entitled to some, you know, some military benefits. He declined them. He's the only one in uh, Northern Austria, upper Austria to decline those benefits so yeah, he he had a bunch of figures in his life that were giving him bad advice, and I think that's that's really was is the spark for why I re- I I wanted to do this show with you, Steve, because I think only half of his story has been told, um, and even by um, you know even by some recent homilies and sermons about him, it's hard to say everything in sixteen minutes, but there are huge huge important details that I hope we can cover here. Yeah, no, I mean. Like I told you off show, uh, I wrote a priest about this a couple about a month or so ago, about uh, where is our line of where do we draw the line when you have two blessings in the church, 
one blessed Franz right here. Another one, uh, blessed Klaus fan. Ah, I forget his last name. <laughs> the one that went mm-hmm. after Hitler. And they're raised on the altar a little bit. And uh, those guys were, like, I think uh, Klaus, he had he had the okay from Holy Mother Church. And he went through the just war theory to make sure he was okay. And, Ble- and Franz, he had priests telling him to do it. And he dis he not was disobeyed, but he went with what his well he did. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And this this does come down to this this word obedience, and it's very in vogue right now for everyone to throw this word around, especially in in Tradville. Everyone loves to use this word uh, of of obedience, and it's it's a it's it's a concept that I don't think is properly fleshed out when it's just kind of thrown out there. So, for example, it just like you said. Blessed Franz's priests told him to take the oath, the oath, the oath of loyalty to Adolf Hitler. And it's, it's an unconditional oath. I mean, if you look at the words of the oath, there's no way around it. Do you have it with you? So, in some ways, Blessed Franz is a lot like St. Thomas More, because his life hung in the balance of whether or not he could say the words of an oath and pledge his loyalty to uh, a tyrannical dictator. And he could find no way around it. So he was advised by his parish priest, by the associate priest, by the chaplain of his military unit. He even went to the bishop in ends. He saw the bishop, the highest authority, his ordinary. The bishop told him there in person to take the oath. So if you want to talk about obedience, um, this, is, this is something that's very significant. You ha- if you have bad clerics, who are misadvising you, who are telling you to do the wrong thing, who are telling you to do something that is evil, then you do not have to be obedient to those orders. Those are not lawful orders. Those are not moral orders. And um, this is a major point that I think was missed in the sermon because um, it's one thing to talk to talk a big game about you know, uh, standing up to the tyrannical state and standing up to Hitler and, you know, not complying and, and not wearing your mask and not social distancing and, and you know, showing them who's boss. Uh, let, me, let me just read you a passage from this book called In Solitary Witness. Um, just to flesh this point out a little bit, quote, all of them, and this is the clerics, all of them advise him that the order of priority as far as his personal obligations and responsibilities were concerned began with his duties as husband and father and loyal citizen. Sounds like the uh, Chinese constitutional church, right? That he had neither the competence, the information, nor the right to challenge the secular ruler as to the justice or injustice of the war in which he had been ordered to serve. One more quote. Yet none of them was able to give Jaeger Stotter the kind of support he needed. They could congratulate him for his unwavering commitment and give him assurance that he would not be com- committing a sin by following his conscience to the grave. But none had been able or willing to tell him that he was right. Franz Jaeger Stotter had to stand alone in his moment of decision. In a very real sense, his action must be described as a stand against his fellow Catholics and their spiritual leaders who were wholeheartedly committed to, or at least willing to acquiesce in the war efforts. So you've got, you know, you've got the church in Austria that supports the annexation of Austria by uh, Nazi Germany, that supports the war effort, 
at, uh, at a certain point, even in Malick's film, they say that some of the bells in the cathedrals are being handed over to the to the Nazi regime to be melted down to make bullets. Uh, you know, Cardinal Cardinal Initzer um, famously said Heil Hitler, you know, and, and made that. So if you're if you're a conscientious objector uh, in this time, you're going to have to stand against your priests, against your bishop and um, and, you know, some clerics would call that disobedience, but you're being obedient to a higher law, to the moral law, to God's law. Um, and, and um, you know, St. Um, Thomas More was accused of being disobedient as well. But the fact is, is that Blessed Franz is in heaven and is a martyr. And um, as far as we know, these, these clerics who told him to take the oath... They're not. So um, I think it's I think it's pretty clear. This might be not written down. I just thought about the question, but during the beatification, did uh, Benedict or did they bring up the clerics that, that he opposed basically, or that told him the op? You know, told him um, that's it. a good question. I don't I'm not sure that it was specifically called out in the um I think at the exhort the apostolic exhortation or, or whatever the title of the document is declaring him a martyr uh and then subsequently uh him being beatified that same year i i don't that's a good question steve i i'm actually going to research that and maybe post a comment in the show notes um to to clarify that because yeah, i remember watching the movie going you know you see the priest telling him do it you, you see him going to the bishop and the bishop basically saying yeah go ahead and do the you know do the oath and you're going wait a minute did they i, I remember sitting on the couch looking going did they just tell him to do that and go right right and 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 terrence mallet got a lot of those details right uh he you know f because it was already a three-hour film he didn't include all of the other priests of god who were around um blessed franz telling him to go and take this oath um his his parish priest from uh from upper austria makes a two-day journey by train because that's how you know that's how if you're poor and and from you know rural rural austria that's how you traveled mm -hmm. all the way to berlin he makes a two-day one-way trip all the way to berlin with blessed franz's wife uh franziska and and they go and they visit him and the priest is there to convince him to just just sign the oath and steve it sounds exactly like the arguments that they that hit that that people made to um to St. Thomas More, mm -hmm. they said, you can, you can just say the words, but you can think something differently, and God knows your heart. I think that you know? was the exact quote they said, in the, or at least that he Thomas used in the film. Yes, yes, God knows your heart, God knows your intentions. And, and this is even more, you know, uh, signing an oath in writing has, a, has an even higher, I think, um, culpability to it than you know just kind of raising your hand and, and saying a verbal oath which is all they were requiring of saint thomas more so they're they're requiring a higher evidentiary standard here for blessed franz um and so all these people you know these people around him steve they tore him apart if, if they called him an extremist that he had excessive religiosity um they uh many people accused him of having a mental illness um people people close to him who just couldn't understand what he was doing they accused him how does this sound for in here in uh in traditional catholic tradville 
they accused him of having pride, excessive pride. Well, he's just he's just making a stand because he wants to, he, you know, he wants to draw attention to himself, and it's really just pride. Um, and that people told him it, that it didn't matter if he it was a hopeless cause. If it didn't matter if he made a stand, it didn't matter if he didn't take the oath. It wouldn't matter to anyone. His story would never be told. It wouldn't change the course of things. Um, why would God permit? this to happen to him this is such an evil uh you know catch 22 if if there is a god if god is all good and all loving how can he permit this bad thing to happen to you uh isn't this isn't this proof that you know that that the catholic church is just is is just you know the whore of babylon or whatever so all of these arguments are being constantly made to blessed franz and to his wife his saintly wife who has to endure um, the uh, the ostracizement of the entire village. Yeah. Let me um, let me just uh, go into some of the numbers here. Of of this small village in Upper Austria, there were fifty five men killed in action in World War Two. Of those fifty five, something like thirty five of the fifty five, so the, the 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 clear majority, were all killed in um, in Stalingrad. 1943 well blessed franz and his uh and his opposition is all starts to come into its own in 1943 1944 so you ha imagine you have a very you live in a you live in a homogenous village everyone speaks the same language they have the same blood they've all been there forever the families know each other it's entirely catholic it's 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 essential you know everyone is on the same page mm -hmm. And 55 of your men have died or will die in, uh, in support of this war. And you have one man who says, I don't support this war. I mean, it's not hard to imagine the entire village turning on him, turning on his family, stealing from his family. His wife is at home trying to run a farm by herself. Um, it's, it, was a, it was a really brutal situation. And people appealed to that and said, you're going to leave your wife without support. You're going to leave her alone. And uh, she won't be able to run the farm. She'll lose the farm. Your three daughters will starve. Um, there's a lot at stake here. Not just, this isn't just the story of a man who's willing to die uh, by, by de being decapitated by the Nazis. This is, a, this is a story of a man who was willing to endanger his entire family his three daughters under the age of six um and leave them fatherless uh over over a over an oath yeah that, over that an oath the, that was one of the crazy things watched in the movie was how the neighbors treated the wife and kids you know, stealing stealing from their farm stealing from their barn uh, treating them like scum basically i'm like wait a minute these guys were their friends a couple weeks ago yes Yes, they all grew up together, and they all they all started to. Uh, this is really this is this is such a great story too, and and well told by uh, Terrence Malick because it is this perennial story of of what is Caesar's and what is God's, and our Lord tells us to rent to only render to Caesar what is due to Caesar, and then to render to God what is due to God. And I'm very fond of, there's a famous traditional priest who, who's, who makes this point all the time. And he says, it's, you know, it's, it's impossible that the demands of Caesar can be larger than the demands of God. And so if you're going to tithe 
to the church 10%, let's say, uh, and that's sort of the traditional, it's, it's, we, we inherited that 10% uh, from the Jews. If you're going to give 10% of your pre-tax income to the church, then it is unlawful of the government of Caesar to ask you for anything more than that same 10%. Um, but this, this balance between what is Caesar's and what is Christ's is, is really what, what is at stake here. And you could see, um, and Father Gordon got this absolutely right in the beginning of his sermon, you could see all these controls that the Nazis were slowly putting into place over society. Um, in this book, it's called In Solitary Witness. It's a historical work about Blessed Franz's life. It catalogs how, you know, suddenly, uh, you know, you could be charged with a crime for illegally butchering livestock or for listening to foreign broadcasters uh, like this YouTube channel, you know, could could put your life in danger under the Nazi regime. Even smoking in, in, a, in, a, in an unauthorized uh, location could, could put your, could jeopardize you. So the, the controls that the Nazi regime were putting into place were insidious. They were slow. Um, they were rolled out over time, just like what we're seeing here in America. Um, but you will obey. You will wear your mask. You will social distance. You will worship when and where the government tells you you can, you can worship. Uh, and if we tell you to stop, you have to stop. And um, so it's, it's, it's very similar what we're experiencing now to the slow rollout of, um, of Nazi leftism. Yeah. I remember, uh, just thinking about the, you know, uh, was it the crime of collecting rainwater going, when did the government own the sky? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the water that right. comes I mean, from it, the sky it, is theirs. <laughs> that harkens back to at the times of, of the, um, you know, of the Calvinist princes who, who invented absolutism and monarchy, and they would say things like, well, all the deer belong to his majesty, so it's illegal to hunt a deer, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, you know, reading, um, <laughs> uh, reading Robin Hood. You, you, see, you see some of these draconian, you know, oh, you, oh, you hunted a deer? Well, now you'll be, now you'll be drawn and quartered because all the deer belong to his majesty. It's kind of like... This absolutism in government is is really an invention of the left. You know what's funny, Steve? Too is is so many of these Black Lives Matter leftists are so fond of creating this like false dichotomy between the left and the right, the extreme left and the extreme right, and they're like they're like willing to say, "Oh yes, well the extreme left is communism," and, and you know we don't support that, even though they do. But the extreme right is fascism and, and Hitler. Okay, well, actually, uh, fascism and Hitler are opposite ends of each other's spectrum. Hitler was a socialist. Hitler, social, Nazi socialism and Bolshevik communism are both competing variants of the same strain of leftism, of collectivism. And, uh, I mean, this, n nobody makes this point in, more, more uh, eloquently than Dinesh D'Souza, and he kind of he kind of famously rolled out this argument last year on on national TV, and I I, I lapped it up. I thought it was great, but it's true that uh, the, the the reason why the Nazis and the communists were so were were bitter enemies is because they were both competing for the for uh, for the same vision of collectivism. It's sort of like why you know why. Why a civil war is the bloodiest of all wars, including our civil war, was to date in the history of the world the bloodiest war of all time. 
Uh, why do family feuds, why are they the most explosive? Whereas if you just have a falling out with a friend, it's, you know, you, everyone can kind of move on. Um, it's because when you, when your ideas are so closely linked with each other and they're in competition for dominance with each other, that, uh, that, that the stakes are really high. And so, uh, Nazi leftism was in direct competition with Bolshevik leftism. And this is why Hitler couldn't help himself. He had to invade Russia. He couldn't allow a, a, a competing strain of, of collective, of collectivist leftism, statism, uh, to exist in the world, and ultimately that was his downfall uh, in if in invading Russia. We probably a lot of military strategists uh, agree that we probably could not have beaten him in the Western Front uh, if he had massed all of his forces, you know, against Great Britain. We probably would have been kicked off um, the island and and lost all of Europe uh, had he not gone into Russia. But uh, but so that's. Uh, that's interesting, though, because we are in, in, in terms of bringing it back to today. And why is this so significant for today? Well, today we are living through a Bolshevik revolution in America. It just is. is it just has a different name. Uh, it has names like, you know, uh, um, Occupy Wall Street and the 99 percent and Black Lives Matter. Uh, and, and, you know, the Bernie Sanders democratic socialist movement, but uh, we we're witnessing an insurgency and, uh, an armed insurgency in places like Portland and Seattle, New York and DC. Um, and, and it's, and it's destabilizing and we are, we are quickly becoming the most socialist, if not the most communist country in the world. And it's happening right before our eyes. And, um, and, and even a Trump administration can has the authority to tell you supposed authority to tell you when and where you can go to mass. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago and put up the 1928 socialist pl uh, platform that pretty much is all enacted. I think they stopped because they said the GOP and the Democrats are already pushing the same agenda so they could sit back and let them do it. And then follow John Harden, the late great, I think that died you know a couple decades ago. He coined the thing saying that the the United States is the greatest Marxist land in the in the world. So he was before our time. <laughs> just imagine what we yeah, well, now. he he definitely saw it coming. We're fine. I mean, it's it's just coming into its own here in these United States. You know, we don't even say these United States anymore. To say that is a is a little bit of a tongue in cheek thing. These United States, because we are a collection of states that are supposedly united by a weak federal government. That's been flipped on its head ever since the, uh, you know, the tyranny of Abe Lincoln, mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, who, who essentially squashed you know, the so-called uh, laboratory of democracy that a lot of uh, uh, politicians are fond of saying today, even though it's not even true. Yeah, I just saw a conservative tweet. I uh, can't remember her name, Tara Leone or whatever her name is, saying, if you don't like it, get out of this country. I'm going, wait a minute. Technically, these are 50 countries united in one union to a federal contract, not Russia. I mean, we're not, people act like we're just one gigantic landmass blob governed by a 10 mile square on one, you know, on the coast of the continent, which if you think about that guys, I mean, that's, it's, you can't rule that way. That's why yeah. you got 50 States. That's why you have constitutions in each state. People don't even look at their, it goes back to not looking at their local federal or uh, local and state governments and look what's get, getting them hit right now is your local and state governments enacting tyranny 
over their citizens. Well, fo- folks are so fond uh, in, in these United States of, of trashing uh, the monarchy just in general as a, as a form of government because they've been brainwashed into believing that, you know, that this, this false version of monarchy, which, which the Calvinist uh, Protestants invented of absolutism, the reason why they invented it, of course, is it's, it's a derivative of their theology. Mm-hmm. Um, John Calvin was himself an absolutist. He was so uh, consumed by the, by the fear that he would not um, be saved that he invented a new theology, which basically cr- invented predestination and said that he was saved no matter what he did. He was absolutely saved, absolutism. So that absolutism of you are, you are the elect and you are damned and that's it, end of story, and, it, and there's nothing you can do about it either way, that is the f- fundamental underlying philosophy which crept its way into absolutism in monarchy. Now, of course, it, it, it has to be said that that, that absolutism – Although it is a Calvinist invention, it crept into the French monarchy as well, uh, and you definitely saw that uh, as well, even even with a uh, ostensibly Catholic monarchy. But the point is, is that um, at the height of his power, Franz Joseph, emperor of the Austro-Hungarian Empire that had to fight World War I uh, and was the reigning emperor when Blessed Franz Jägerstatter was born in Upper Austria, at the height of his power... When he had uh, a collection of more than a dozen different nations underneath him that had uh, almost two dozen different languages and cultures and all these, he could never exercise the power over his people that Donald Trump can exercise over you and me. Look, you're sitting in North Carolina. Um, I'm in the heart of America. And the musings, the musings of Donald Trump are more significant to my life today than the most direct interference that King George could have put on my life in, the, in colonial America. And certainly what Emperor Franz Joseph could have put on my life if I were uh, Polish or Czech or Slavic or any of the peoples under his purview. Because in Catholic monarchy and in Catholic governance, you have uh, proportionality and, uh, and, 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 and you have this distribution of, of power. It's, it's essentially ruling at the lowest common denominator. And we in these United States, to your point, Steve, we used to have that. We used to care about our local elections. We knew who our state you know, and local officials were. We were friends with them. We voted for them. Now, uh, these people, uh, these county health officials who are essentially unelected bureaucrats who now exercise absolute dominion over your life, they can tell you which grocery stores you can and can't go to, how many of you can go in, what you have to be wearing and how you have to comport yourself when you report to your grocery store, which businesses are essential and non-essential. These county level health officials who rule like little Hitler's we don't even know their names. We don't care about their names. We don't even vote in these elections. They're, they're voted into office by 5 or 10% of the population. Meanwhile, all of us are sucked into national politics because Trump or Biden really does matter to my life. It really does. I don't want it to, and it shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, you get those little cards like I just got, the uh, little voter registration card. 
And it shows what precinct you're in, the Superior Court, Senate Township, Congress, Judicial District, House, School, all that stuff. That's a lot of, that's all the power right in your neighborhood. And yeah. nobody goes to vote for, no one has a clue who these, you could have the richest person in the world running for that seat. Just like, uh, what was it in, was it Oregon? You have a tranny up there that, what'd she do? Uh, banned the church or something like that? She did Oh, yes. Yes. Masks. This was she banned mask unless you're black. That's right. That's right. It was a it was a uh, mentally deranged. Uh, I I honestly can't tell if it is if it's biologically a man or a woman. I'll just refer to it as an it, a mentally deranged person who is exercising a level of power over the people in Oregon that heretofore has never been conceived by even the most tyrannical king in the history of Christendom. Um, and we, Steve, are oblivious to it. We are conditioned into accepting it. We are okay with it. Um, and even the church, and and this is why Blessed Franz Jägerstatter is the model for Catholics in 2020. He is the absolute model. Uh, and this point didn't get made in the sermon, but I'm making it now. Even in the church, the church which capitulates to the state, to the whims of the state, or, co- or that capitulates to the whims of an evil, spineless, wicked, modernist bishop who really, truly hates the Mass and wants to see it shut down and wants Catholics to go home, but make sure you mail in your, your monthly donations so that we can keep the, the chanceries running. Even the church, when she falls into that wicked error, has to be corrected, and she can only be corrected by the laity, and she has only ever been corrected by the laity. It's not proper, and it's not well-ordered. And ideally, Steve, we would have, uh, we would have ordained men leading this fight, uh, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we have a, we have a church, as, as Chesterton describes it, as men with no chests. And so it falls to imperfect guys like Blessed Franz, who was a wild man. It falls to guys like you and your incredible channel at Census Fidelium. It falls to all of us. And I think what we can, what we can share with Blessed Franz uh, emotionally and, and, and what we can, how we can really partake in his life is to embrace the cross of loneliness. It is fundamentally a lonely thing to uh, to posit uh, that you, as a father figure in your house, as a husband father, as the provider protector, it falls to you. You have to be the liturgist. You have to be the historian. You have to be the moral theologian. You have to uh, understand geopolitics and economics. You have to do all of those things which. In, uh, in, in prior times were provided to you by the church, which are no longer provided to you, even in the traditionalist orders. Yeah, I know people that haven't been to, their church has been closed for the last, well, March. What are we in, July? And uh, yeah. we're just thinking, you know, that's, I think Father got that, he, he got a little ticked. I know he's been that way. But he's got. To, he's been a little bit more careful because of. Well, a lot of priests are being are careful because they're under tyranny of some guy. If they say the wrong thing, they're at Our Lady of the Garbage Dump, 
or they get silenced yeah. by their order. I, I was thinking about the you know San Fran going after the diocese of San Francisco, and you brought that up a, a minute ago of uh, the state telling the church what to do. And I don't know if anybody knows this guy named Pius Ninth, but some <laughs> some kind of syllabus. You get you get that syllabus in college, I think. But the syllabus of errors number forty four, the civil authority. Well, first off, you got to start of all off with this. I've got you. I've got you. Yes, the syllabus of errors. Pius the ninth. Pius the ninth is the guy. He came out so strongly against Freemasonry too. He's he's really one of the model popes, one of the most significant popes I think in the last oh, yeah. two hundred years. Uh, he predicted a lot of this mess that we're in. Freemasonry is at the heart of le- liberalism and leftism and collectivism and modernism. Uh, and the you know, look, you uh, going back to this this conflict between Caesar and Christ. Uh, wh- whom do you render what to? And this and this and this uh, virtue, this virtue of obedience. Yes, our Lord, our Lord cherishes obedience. He really does. Um, it's 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 one of the most important virtues and characteristics that we can cultivate in our souls, and it is the fruit of humility. Absolutely, I, I agree with all of those things. It's, theo- theologically, we we're all in agreement. But when you talk about the virtue of obedience. I would prefer that my priest publicly tell me, or at least privately, at least privately tell me that he is obedient to the oath against modernism and not to the modernist bishop. That's, 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 that's the version of obedience that I can get behind. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's sometimes with that dichotomy of leadership, I guess you could say, uh, it's, I, I don't I don't get it. That's that's why I wrote the wrote pre, uh, one father wasn't this priest but a different one a couple months ago. Going, where's the line in the sand? We do we wait for a spiritual suicide if we're waiting yeah. too long? And you see all this stuff coming out. We still don't have holy water in churches, and that's kind of a powerful sacramental. Last I looked, and we got all these problems in the world popping up and. As another priest just did a sermon on uh, if we don't sacrifice his blood, we'll sacrifice each other's. And you mm-hmm. see a lot of violence out there, and there's not a lot of masses going on because there's some. I know some bishops think that this is the bubonic plague. I, I've actually been told that by people close to them, saying that they're locked up, thinking this is the Black Death, and going, "How do you get <laughs> so terrified on this?" This this alt left uh, publication Vox just put out a uh, an article last night. And it said, um, it said, cases, uh, confirmed cases are rising in the United States, but the death toll keeps going down. Here's why that's bad news. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, shouldn't we be celebrating the fact that this thing is not nearly as deadly as it was portrayed? Shouldn't we be celebrating the fact that it's basically as deadly as the flu? And can we all get on with our lives? But no, the bad news is just around the corner, Steve. It's just around the corner. And, it's, and that news is, is bad news enough to, to cause the entire Catholic infrastructure to absolutely capitulate. Yeah, they want more death. And that's why I was going with uh, number 44 the, of the syllabus. It is evil to believe that the civil authority may interfere in matters relating to religion, morality, spiritual government. Hence, it can pass judgment on the inst- instructions issued for the guidance of consciences con- conform- conformably with their mission by the pastors of the church. For, further, it has the right to make enactments regarding the administration of divine sacraments and the dispositions necessary for receiving them. And we got New York City, they tried stopping communion or shutting down churches in total. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, we we are living in the times that a blessed Franz Jägerstadter was living through. We are seeing, uh, many of us are, are have our eyes open to the fact that we are seeing precisely the same playbook. Look, uh, th- there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, I think somebody famous once said that uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. Uh, <laughs> what we're witnessing in 2020 certainly rhymes a lot with what uh, Jägerstadter had to live through in 1940 uh, to 1946 when he was martyred. So um, but incidentally, I, I just what, one last note on him. He took his big stand uh, at the at the perfect age of thirty three. Huh. That's that's when he made his big stand. So, um, what kind of and, punishment did he take? Well, he, he was he was locked up for uh, for years, mm-hmm. and he was transferred from from it, it was an escalation of where he was held. So first he was held at his training base in Inns, uh, then he was transferred to Linz. Um, which is the the capital city of uh, of the state of Upper Austria? Ultimately, he was uh, commuted over all the way to Berlin uh, because for capital offenses, um, it was a military tribunal in Berlin that had to preside over the judgment of these conscientious objectors. It's funny that word conscientious. When you uh, in uh, nowadays, if if you if you say that someone is conscientious, like you, you are a conscientious guy, Steve. You're very amiable. You're very charitable. You're very polite. You're very much, you know, uh, kind of uh, putting others ahead of yourself. Uh, to be a conscientious objector, though, the Nazis were not very conscientious to uh, conscientious objectors. Basically, the death uh, penalty was imposed if you opposed Hitler in any way, um, and uh, that is that is ultimately what he suffered. There's this touching scene in the film where. It's it's after he is sentenced by the by the military tribunal, he's sentenced to death, and before his execution, there's this period of time, uh, of like four months or something. During that time, his wife and his priest, that's when they come out to Berlin, with two very different goals. Mm-hmm. The wife comes out to tell her husband, "I am with you always to the end. I support you. Follow your conscience." That's what a holy wife does. That's what a, and that is why that alone tells you all you need to know about why blessed Franz turned his entire life around and aspired to be a better man, to be worthy of her love, because that's the kind of woman that she was. Meanwhile, you have a man in a cassock who ostensibly you should be listening to telling you, consider your family, consider your children, consider, just take the oath. It's just words. God knows your heart. You're mad. Why are you doing this? Don't be an extremist. We live in a time, Steve, where it's time to be extremists. We have to be extremists. And all of us, all of us who put ourselves out there, you and I, we put ourselves out there on YouTube trying to spread the faith, trying to just just transmit that which we have received, and we will suffer various forms of martyrdom for it. But it is time for the men to stand up. It, that that's that's what time it is, and when people tell you, you know, you've got to kind of go along to get along. This this whole like Opus Dei version of Catholicism, where there should be no evidence at all to convict you of being Catholic, um, it's 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 bogus. It, a it never converted anyone, and B it's not going to get you to heaven. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I keep yelling out that we need the 
church to be the voice of reason in this time of insanity and it's drives you nuts when you see you know it's kind of going around going with it yet you know every other pews marked off or you know someone get hands you why aren't you wearing a mask i don't believe in superstition it's every everything we're doing is contrary to the to what the church stands for almost in, in a sense see yeah. And and then when you have Bishop Barron in Los Angeles saying, well, it's not my job to defend our churches. It's not my job to defend our statues. That's your job as a lady. You know what? He's right. We do need to stand up. We do need to, to mass forces uh, and be like those heroes in Philly that you were talking about last week uh, and, and protect the statue of, uh, of Christopher Columbus, to be those heroes in St. Louis protecting King St. Louis IX. And to be those heroes in Ventura County, California, that uh, defended uh, Saint Father Sarah. So that's what that, it's time for us to stand up, uh, because if we don't stand up, we'll die on our knees. That's, that's just that's you... just where I thought I thought perhaps that my sons would have to fight this battle, but no, it, it falls it falls to you and me, Steve. Kind of goes to what you were saying about the educating the family, because what's the job? What's the primary educators are the parents. But yes. a lot of people will say, no, the priest, that you need to be educating my... You know, yes, they get to do it, but they don't live with your family 24-7. You're right. the primary ones. But if we don't do it because we're lazy, want to do something else, it kind of gets that same mindset. Oh, you're supposed to be doing that. Well, where's the rest yeah. of us at? We're, we call the church Milton or we call the church... All right, well, we'll just stay, sit back and tell somebody else to do it. No, you're you're exactly right. This is a, this is one of the other um, evil, really, derivatives of of French revolutionary thinking, uh, because in times past, uh, the church did catechize our children, and the church ran schools, and mm -hmm. that's that's the ideal. The the that that truly is the ideal that you would have Catholic schools, and that all the children would socialize with each other there at Catholic schools. Today, that that ideal is not possible it is absolutely not possible um i i can think of no worse place to send your children than a diocesan catholic school that is where they will go to kill their soul to destroy their sense of wonder um and to and to uh, irreparably harm any sense of piety that those young men and women could have otherwise cultivated so you're right steve although it's not the ideal it is absolutely necessary in today's day and age that the parents are the are the primary educators of their children period end of story if for no other reason than to protect their purity i had bishop athanasius schneider look me and my wife in the eyes and tell us that if we even even if we stay home and play checkers with them we are doing them a greater service than sending them to any school, including a Catholic school. And before anybody thinks Mike's nuts on this, what was it? I think even Peter Kreft talked about that going, if you want somebody to defend your faith, send them to a public school. But if you want them to lose the faith, send them to a Catholic school. Right <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, I love Peter Kreft. Saying that. It was, it's He's so self-deprecating too. He refers to, he, he works at Boston College. He's a professor of, yeah. is it philosophy or theology? I don't know what he teaches there. Uh, or history or literature. I don't know. He could teach any of those things. He's brilliant. But um, he refers to BC, uh, Boston College, as uh, barely Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, if you don't laugh, you cry. 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. You have to laugh at absurd things. You oh, have yeah. to laugh. No, that's to... for darn Look, sure. Franz was cheerful. He was cheerful until the end. He wrote. He wrote that as they would strike him and abuse him in jail. You know, being in a Nazi jail as a traitor. That's probably one of the last places you really want to be. Um, it's it's not worse than being in the Russian gulags, but it's it's not a pleasant place. He was routinely abused. He was routinely um, tortured. And he never lost his sense of humor. And you can see that in his letters. I really do highly recommend. Look, everyone has a limited amount of time. We're all competing for, you know, we, we all have a, a stack of books this tall and we have to triage and where am I going to invest my time and what can I read, you know, what's really going to benefit me. I do have to recommend In Solitary Witness um, because of the, because of how Blessed Franz does, does show us the way for what our lives are going to be like in, in 2020 America. But if you do pick up the book, uh, it, and it's not gonna it's not gonna arrive, you know, next day on Amazon because it's it's, it's kind of hard to get. But if you once you get it and you start reading the correspondence between him and his wife, they're funny. They love each other. They're cheerful. They don't lose hope. I mean, the theological virtue of hope is always present. We don't have to, as trads, you know, sometimes we, we, uh, we, get, we take ourselves so seriously and we get down on things and we get all kind of mopey. And then there's this like Gnostic, Gnostic spirit that we have like, oh, I know this secret truth that like, you know, only trads will be saved and nobody else. And I don't want to share it with anybody. And, and, oh, that person's wearing shorts and they came to our mass. So they're, you know, they're definitely not the elect or whatever. That is not, that is not Blessed Franz at all. That is not uh, how we should be behaving. And, and when things are just absurd, like Black Lives Matter and their communist front, uh, a properly ordered uh, response to absurdity is mockery. You have to mock it. You have to laugh at it. It's stupid. No, yeah, no, we were, I was, I did a, uh, I can't remember the priest's name. He's an oratory in Canada. We talked about the joy and uh i'm trying to get this one priest to do a thing on saint theophane and his bishop out in vietnam at those times would say three cheers for joy and this is a time when all his priests were getting slaughtered and he still would say three cheers for joy <laughs> so <laughs> imagine I, we don't we live so comfortably i mean i got the air conditioner going i'm sitting in a decent chair getting my back up we got done working out we didn't grow, we didn't have those problems those priests out in Vietnam had or Jap Japanese martyrs etc. But guys, yeah, it's not that far off. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. Uh, perspective, definitely perspective. Uh, Steve, this has been great. I I do hope more people look into Blessed Franz Jaeger's daughter, and I'm so happy that you gave me the opportunity to uh, to tell the rest of the story um, for of his life, and I hope more people do do find his life. Uh, ideally you'll find someone who's actually an expert on this guy and can correct anything that I said that was in error, but, um, but, uh, we're all just doing the best we can. That's the way I found out about uh, him knowing that about well, Franz in general was after we were on this group text and someone posted a link and I said, well, I'll clean it up just to protect the priest a little bit. Cause you know, get his name off it. So I put photos with it and then. Mike pops on with the book. I'm going, hey, you want to do it? Let's do a thing on him. I didn't know someone had the book. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only because of Terrence Malick and he made the movie and I had never heard of him before. And then I watched this movie and it was so touching. The power of art and beauty to change culture. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing.
Yeah, we'll link the book and the movie underneath in the show notes section. So yeah, check out the movie. It's about yeah, it's a three hours long, but it's well worth sitting down and watching. And uh, it's a feast for the senses, my friend. It's a feast for the senses. Yes, it was, it was great. It was great. Anyway, Mike, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon uh, for the rundown. <laughs> God bless you, brother. See you Friday.